and welcome to episode 38 of Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast. I am your youthful and zaftic host, Kristen Hawes, aka Kiki Rides. We have come to the end of season three and we're ending it with a two-parter, episodes 23 and 24, The Grandstand Play. I'm also going to do a small season three wrap-up at the end. Just a quick overview of my thoughts and feelings about the season, as well as the arbitrary tallies that I keep. So, for the last time for Season 3, let's go to Hawaii. Is this what you've got so far? Yeah. Barry Phillips, 142 Ocean Boulevard. Well, it's not much, is it? Barry was uh, too busy eating. Gary, um, suppose you show us where you're sitting, huh? B811, on the aisle. It, it's a very good seat, a perfect seat. It's a house seat, isn't it? You're Lon Phillips' son. You know about me? Well, there have been a lot of uh, newspaper articles written about a great ball player like your father coming to Hawaii. Yeah, Dad's the best. He's the best in, in either league. You know, he... How you doing, pal? Uh, hi, Dad. I, I'm fine. How'd you know I was here? Uh, Coley told me. Everything okay? Yeah. I'm Steve McGarrett, 5 Big fan of yours. Great admirer. What, uh, what's happening? Just, uh, routine questions. Your son was seated, uh, here, not far from the murder area, as you could see. We're trying to determine if he might have seen something without realizing it. Season 3, episodes 23 and 24, The Grandstand Play, Parts 1 and 2. Part 1 aired on March 3rd, 1971, and Part 2 aired on March 10th. 1971. Both parts were directed by Paul Stanley. These are episodes 10 and 11 of 19 for him. The writer credits are a little odd. Part 1 was written by Adrian Spies, and Part 2, Adrian Spies got the story by credit and teleplay credit, and these will be his only two episodes of Hawaii Five-0. And then Gerald Ludwig and Eric Bersavisi also got teleplay credits. This, these will be episodes 10 of 12 for both gentlemen. Gary Phillips is watching his dad, Lon Phillips, play baseball for the Hawaiian Islanders. As he heads to the concession stand for a hot dog, he ends up helping an inebriated woman, and from their interaction, it's readily apparent that Gary is developmentally disabled and the woman is wasted. The lady gives Gary a parting sloppy kiss and then wipes off the lipstick with a handkerchief, which she drops. Gary retrieves it and follows the lady to return it. Meanwhile, Lon comes up to bat and sees that Gary is not in his seat. A hit later, and Lon is perturbed to see that Gary still isn't there. But that quickly morphs into relief when Gary returns and the Islanders score. However, Gary's lady friend is found dead. Five-O arrives to find a crowd. The dead woman is identified as Emily Workman, the estranged wife of Lester Workman, and according to soon-to-be ex, Emily had a habit of getting sloppy in public and embarrassing him. Kono and Danny interview witnesses, including Gary, who claims not to have seen the woman. Lon arrives to the questioning and is concerned, but Steve assures him that they're just asking Gary questions because he was sitting close to the area where the body was found. Gary swears he never left his seat, and Lon backs him up even though he knows his son is lying. After they leave, Lon's friend and coach, Coley Bennett, informs Steve that the big-time baseball star Lon Phillips came to play in the minors so he could better care for Gary after his wife's death. Back at home, Lon is obviously disturbed that his son has been lying. As they arm wrestle, as fathers and sons are wont to do, Lon confronts him about the lie. Gary says that he lied because he didn't want to get into trouble for getting a hot dog when his father told him he needed to watch his weight. He maintains that he didn't see the woman because his dad told him to stay away from women and always be a gentleman. He was only thinking about being hungry. Lon believes him. Meanwhile, in a crappy apartment, Lou Horton is being berated by his girlfriend for blowing it with Emily Workman while she burns the negatives of some pictures. 
A tennis pro tells Five O that Emily Workman came around the tennis club looking for her husband. When he found out, he stopped coming around, but Emily became fond of the tennis pro and came to watch him play all the time, but nothing ever happened between them. She said that she was scared of her husband and of losing the kids in her alimony in the divorce. Steve questions Mr. Workman about having his estranged wife followed, but he denies it. Steve asks Mr. Workman to be helpful, but he's trying to protect his children. When a hot dog vendor says that he saw Gary and Emily Workman and may have seen them together, Steve goes to talk to Lon and Gary again, but Gary is allegedly out. Steve tells Lon that Emily's hanky is missing and asks him to ask Gary about her again. Lon says he will and goes inside the house where Gary obviously is and who tries to make it look like he wasn't eavesdropping. Lon implores Gary to tell the truth because they can't say untrue things to Mr. McGarrett and Fibo will want to talk to him again, but Gary won't budge on his lie. Lon, agitated about his son being questioned, sends Gary to the beach so he can think, snapping at him for asking questions. Horton's girlfriend shows him the paper that says there might be a witness to Emily Workman's killing. Horton remembers bumping into Gary, but doesn't know if the kid saw anything. He decides it's in his best interest to shut the kid up for good. Straightening up Gary's room, Lon finds the missing handkerchief and rushes out of the house to find Gary, but he's nowhere around. While Lon desperately searches for him, Gary sits on a tour bus, taking in the sights. The house empty, Jenny's phone calls go unanswered. But who does hear the phone ringing? Horton, who's lurking outside. A gardener catches him and he makes up an excuse, saying that he thought someone else lived there before leaving. But he's not giving up, and neither is Jenny. She keeps calling, and Horton keeps watch. Meanwhile, Steve and Danny discover that Emily Workman was making big withdrawals in the last four weeks. Clearly, something is up. Gary is enjoying ice cream on his tour, and when the tour guide helpfully offers him a handkerchief to clean up his dribbles, Gary flashes back to the night of Emily Workman's death and everything he saw. Lon gives up looking for Gary and heads home, where the gardener tells him about Horton creeping around. Inside, Lon finally answers Jenny's calls. He goes into 5-0 headquarters, and once Steve tells Lon that more witnesses saw Gary and Emily Workman together, and that Gary might be in danger, Lon tells him about Horton creeping around and hands over the found hanky. Steve sends Kono to Lon Phillips' apartment because they have to find Gary. Unfortunately, Horton spots him as he comes home from the tour. Gary runs when he sees Kono and manages to evade them both. But Horton spots Gary getting on a bus and follows him in his car. When Gary gets off the bus and crosses the street, Horton guns it. He's going to run him down. And part two opens with Horton totally missing Gary. Thanks, random car. The guy keeps finding new ways to fail. Jin Ho talks to Emily Workman's friend and maid, Mrs. Ahn, at her viewing. She tells Chin that Emily was being blackmailed over compromising pictures, but she decided she wasn't going to pay anymore, and then she was murdered. What a coincidence. She doesn't know the name of the person, but she knows that Emily met them at the stadium. In the end, she blames Emily's estranged husband. When Steve talks to Mr. Workman, he swears he doesn't know anything about any blackmail or pictures. He continues to maintain that he wasn't having his wife followed, and despite Steve's pressure and Gary's peril, proves useless. However, after Steve leaves, Workman makes a call to Horton's girlfriend, demanding a meeting. Under Horton's direction, she meets with Workman, and he calls her out for playing both sides. He was paying her to get compromising pictures of his estranged wife, and the estranged wife was paying her to keep them from him. But as far as Workman is concerned, his wife is dead and his troubles are over, the bank is closed, and she can burn the rest of the pictures. This change of plan displeases Horton, who decides that Workman is just one more loose end to tie up. Meanwhile, 5-0 looks into private investigators who might be working for Workman. Danny finds one that was hired by Workman, but he was fired after a week and a half. He didn't find anything on the wife while he was following her. The PI figures Workman fired him because he hired someone else, but his snoopy nature made him follow Workman, and he saw him with Horton's girl. He also saw one of their cash transactions, and he even got pictures. Steve and Danny go to talk to Workman about it, but they're a little too late. While Lon and Bennett worry over Gary, the kid gets spooked calling home and having Kono answer. He ends up wandering to a ball field and making friends with the kids playing there. They take Gary to the Islanders game and show him how they sneak in for free, evading the HPD sentries 5-0 has set up to look for Gary. Lon, 5-0, and Horton are all on the lookout for Gary. Who will find him first? 
there is this fun little game I play whenever I see that Pernell Roberts is going to be guest starring on anything, and it's called To Pay or No To Pay. Because Pernell Roberts obviously started going bald when he was younger. When he worked on Bonanza with a bunch of other toupee-wearing people, in contrast to like Lauren Green, who was never seen without his toupee, Pernell Roberts only wore his toupee for the show. When he wasn't working, he didn't wear a toupee. When he left Bonanza and would do guest spots on TV shows, sometimes he would show up with a toupee and sometimes he wouldn't have it. So like for the entire run of Trapper John MD, he did not wear a toupee. So whenever he shows up, I see his name in the credits. I like to guess, will he be wearing his toupee or not? Spoiler alert, no toupee for this two-parter. As a two-parter, this is kind of an interesting pick because it's not like FOB Honolulu in the sense that there was a lot going on and we needed two parts in order to get the whole story out. In this case, the reason why it's an effective two-parter is because we get to spend a little bit of extra time with Lon and Gary and their relationship and we get to know them a little bit. So the drama that comes at the end of the first episode and throughout the second episode of Gary's life being in peril means more to us because Gary's a very likable character. He's developmentally delayed. I think he's supposed to be a teenager, possibly late teens, mid to late teens, I would guess. I'm not for sure, but he's a teenager, obviously developmentally delayed, but he's a very sweet kid. He's very upbeat and loves his dad, obviously, loves the game of baseball. He's harmless, very much so. But he still has those kid tendencies in he lies. He lies because he's afraid he's going to get in trouble. And that's why he ultimately runs from Kono. He, he's afraid he's going to get into trouble. And the actor who portrays him, Elliot Street, we'll see him in another episode later that actually I picked as one of my favorites for that particular season. He does an incredible job playing Gary because he doesn't make anything obvious. When you first see Gary watching his dad in the stands, there's nothing that indicates that he's developmentally disabled. It's just a kid watching a baseball game. And when he goes down to the concession stand and runs into Emily Workman, again, you're into their interaction a little bit before you realize, oh yeah, this this kid is developmentally disabled. He's not quite up to where you would think he would be, but still very sweet because he does try to help the lady. And Emily Workman is absolutely wasted, like tore up. I believe her her ex-husband at one point says that when she would go into public, she would get lushed up. I'm going to use that term from now on when, it, when I'm talking about getting drunk. We're going to get lushed up. But yeah, she is like struggling to walk and he helps her. And she realizes even her in her inebriated state, because at first she's really offended because she kind of fall, almost falls over and he helps her and she's a little offended that he's touching her. But then when she talks to him and realizes, oh yeah, this is just a big kid, she's very sweet to him. She plants a big kiss on him before she leaves and leaves lipstick and so she wipes that off. And then she drops the handkerchief and goes stumbling off. And so Gary picks up the handkerchief and he goes and he gets the hot dog. And we see that in flashbacks, that he goes, gets the hot dog, and then goes to find her and finds her dead. But at the time, of course, we don't know that he hasn't done anything because they kind of leave it hanging. They just see him going after her with the handkerchief. So it kind of puts in your mind that maybe this is a big dumb kid doesn't know his own strength situation. Maybe that's how she ended up dead. They kind of plant that a little bit. But it's pretty obvious, even before we meet Horton, that Gary probably didn't have anything to do with the woman's death. While he's down there, Lon Phillips comes up to bat. And where Gary's seat is, he can see it from the field. So he can keep an eye on him because obviously the kid is developmentally delayed. His mother's passed away. So he needs dad to look out for him. And it's easier for him to do it in the minor leagues when they're not traveling as much. And as far as I know, the Islanders were a minor league team back in the 70s. I don't think they always were. I would have to look. I can't remember. All I know is that Stephen Hill, who plays TC on the 2018 Magnum PI, scored an Islanders jersey, and I'm forever jealous. I want one. Anyway, they use actual footage from an Islanders game in the episode. And if you know anything about baseball, there's some funny things about it. One is right before Long comes up to bat, the player ahead of him, the batter ahead of him, scores a run, he has an RBI. And the person that scores is the pitcher, and you can tell because he's wearing a jacket, because it must have been a chilly night when that was filmed. 
But when a pitcher has to run the bases, they would have to, if it was cooler, they would have to put on, they have to put on their jackets to keep their arm warm. It basically makes them look like their mom is making them wear their coat outside to play with their friends. But anyway, so you can see the pitcher score. When Lon comes up to bat, Lon plays catcher. So batting order is interesting. Pitcher usually bats ninth, at least one other person batted ahead of him, maybe two. So I guess he was probably hitting in the three hole. This doesn't matter to anybody who doesn't watch baseball, but I will just point this out that he got on base and then he scored on the next hit and he is a catcher. So he should have like needed oxygen by the time he got home. I'm just saying, knowing this as someone who watches baseball, none of this matters. Anyway, so while he's on the bases, he still sees that Gary is still not there. He finally comes back right before Lon gets hit in. And you can see that he's relieved to see his kid. So when there's police questioning happening, obviously he is concerned and he goes up to find out what's going on. And it's routine questioning. They're just asking Gary if he saw this woman. And he, of course, says no. They kind of get keyed in, Danny and Kono and Steve, kind of get keyed in that, yeah, Gary's developmentally disabled. So they sort of change his ta- their tactic a little bit when they're questioning him to be a little more gentle, like they're talking to a kid a younger kid. And Lon comes in and is concerned, but Steve quickly says, well, we're just asking everybody. And he was sitting in this area and he might've seen something when he went to the concession stand. And Gary, of course, immediately says, I didn't go. I didn't leave my seat. You told me not to leave my seat. And Lon knows he's lying, but Lon backs him up. And when we see them later at home, you can see how concerned Lon is because his son lied and he doesn't know why his son lied. But the fact that he is lying in conjunction with a woman being dead really, really bothers him. And it's Pernell Roberts, and he's brilliant in everything he does. So you see him ruminating over this while Gary's reading a comic book. And Gary knows something's up with his dad, but he isn't sure what. he He's still waiting to get into trouble, I think. So he suggests that they arm wrestle, which, as you do. And it's while they are having this moment this arm wrestling moment that Lon confronts him about the lie. When did you lie? I didn't. I'm not being in your seat. I saw. I was afraid you'd get sore. What about? What do you think? A hot dog. I'm sorry. I was ashamed. What about the woman? I wasn't looking at any women. Dad, you always told me to stay away from the girls. Be a gentleman with the girls. That's true with women too, isn't it? Besides, I would... I was only thinking about being hungry. I, I was starving. <laughs> <laughs> you were starved. You eat enough to feed an army. And you can't even beat an old man. <laughs> the thing about this scene is that the chemistry between Pernell Roberts and Elliot Street is so good as father and son that you can tell that there is a lot of love between these two people that Lon is doing his best as now a single father a widowed father and Gary's just a kid that doesn't want to get into trouble and that's why he will only fess up to going to get a hot dog he won't fess up to what he's seen because he thinks that's going to be more trouble and as far as his dad knows all he did was get a hot dog he's going to keep that bit to himself And Lon seems to believe him about that, that Gary was mostly concerned about getting in trouble over the hot dog and didn't see the woman. But of course, we know that he did. And then later, we are introduced to the people who are really responsible for Emily Workman's death. That is Horton and his girl. His girl is not given a name in the credits. Just Horton's girl. That's it. Considering she was the person that Workman was in contact with, I would have thought she would have at least been given a name. But no. That small detail just annoys the hell out of me. Anyway, we see these two people in their crummy apartment bickering because they have an incredibly toxic relationship. 
And they're bickering about the fact that Horton killed Emily because she decided to cut them off. She wasn't going to be blackmailed anymore. And as he said, she was too drunk to be scared. So she was talking too loud and drawing too much attention. So he had to kill her. But he doesn't think anybody saw. Meanwhile, Steve is talking to Mr. Workman. And Mr. Workman comes across as shady and useless. And I don't think it's necessarily just because he has a great comb forward going on with this amazing mustache. You just get this vibe off of him that he's shady. You know he's shady. He's adamant that he did not have his wife followed. Well, you know he did. You know he was trying to get something on his wife so he could get custody of the children and stop paying her alimony. You know he was. But he's also pretty useless. So you're kind of on the fence about whether or not he was involved at all with his ex-wife's death, but you're pretty sure he's just a shady son of a bitch, and you know he was having her followed. And there's kind of this vibe that that is how we'll find Horton is through the whole he was having his wife followed thing and that person saw something, and that kind of what happens, but it turns out he's more involved than he wants anyone to know. So this is a pretty skint case for 5-0. They don't have a whole lot of clues. They know that there may be witnesses at this ballpark. They know that Emily Workman was going through a contentious divorce. They know that her handkerchief is missing. But they don't have a whole lot to go on. And so they go back to Gary because a vendor says, oh, yes, I remember seeing her. And I remember, I think I remember seeing this boy and I think I remember seeing them together. So Steve goes back to double check, which makes sense. You're going to follow up. And he explains that to Lon when he catches Lon outside of the apartment. And Lon lies and says that Gary's not home because he doesn't want Steve questioning his son again. Steve tells him about the missing handkerchief. And it's common practice for them to go over leads again and asks Lon to talk to Gary when Gary gets home and then give him a call in like an hour. Whether Gary has come home or not, give him a call in about an hour. So Lon goes inside. Gary hurries to the table to pretend that he was not eavesdropping. Lon explains that he's going to have to talk to Five-O again and that he can't lie to Mr. McGarrett. And Gary sticks to his lie that he just got a hot dog that he didn't see the woman. And Lon now knows that Gary is lying about this too and he gets incredibly frustrated. His thoughts now shift to protecting his son. I don't have time to think. No, no, we, we've got about an hour. Uh, look, Gary, why don't you, why don't you go down and check out the beach and uh, get some suntan lotion for your skin? You know how it burns. But I, I've got to think. The whole scene when he's explaining all of this about saying, not saying untrue things to, to Mr. Garrett is great because we have seen how patient Lon can be with his son. And you can see how frustrated he is now because he's trying to protect him and Gary keeps lying and he kind of loses it. And so it's really jarring and harsh to see Lon snap at his son, but you understand what he's, where he's coming from. He's trying to protect him and Gary is not cooperating. So he sends him out of the house. So he has time to think about how they're going to handle this, this next questioning. So Gary runs off and he, he hops on a tour bus. He's supposed to go to the beach, but he goes on a tour instead and meets the sweetest tour guide who unfortunately triggers him to have a flashback about the night of Emily and Workman's death because he's eating ice cream. I think it was an ice cream sandwich and he gets it on his face and she points it out to him and then hands him the handkerchief and he has that flashback. And it's sweet because he's apparently ridden on this tour bus for like every single tour that it does because by the time they get done and he leaves, she goes, that's the last tour for the day. Am I losing my boyfriend for the day? And he's like, well, yeah, I have to, I'm going to go back and see my dad. And it's very sweet because she's obviously fond of him. 
And she's also a little concerned about him, which is, I think, how the audience feels about Gary. We're fond of him, but we're also concerned about him. Meanwhile, Lon finds the handkerchief while he's straightening the mess that is Gary's room and freaks out. He goes running out of the house and he starts looking for Gary and can't find him anywhere. Meanwhile, Horton's girl shows him the newspaper that says that there could be witnesses or a witness to Emily Workman's murder. And for whatever reason, the article, I guess, is honing in on the fact that Gary was questioned because it's a, there's a picture of Lon and Gary accompanying this article. And Horton realizes, oh yeah, he bumped into that kid when he was leaving the murder scene, but they don't know if he saw anything. Well, Horton decides that the kid goes, since the kid goes to every game that his father plays in, and Horton apparently works at the stadium, he would have a whole lot of opportunities to see him and possibly identify him. So he's decided that he's never going to make it back to the stadium. And of course, to do this, he needs to track him down. So we get a great scene where he goes to Lon Phillips' apartment and he gets busted by the gardener. And he comes up with this great lie of, oh, I thought this was Mr. Johnson's house. My mistake. But it sounds like Mr. Phillips is at home because his phone keeps ringing. And it's Jenny calling because Lon has not called 5-0. It's been an hour and Lon hasn't called. So Jenny has been instructed to call him. And he's not answering because he's not at home. So he goes to a bar on the corner where he can keep an eye on the apartment to see if anybody's coming and going. And he calls Lon Phillips' apartment periodically to see if he's come home and he's missed it. Well, there's a lady in the bar that's kind of got her eye on Horton. I mean, she's a career day drinker, you can tell. And when he goes and sits down at the table and he's watching the house, she comes over and tries to hit on him. And just the look that he gives her sends her scurrying back to the bar. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if he's ever worked retail. Because I know that look. <laughs> that is the look I have given many customers who have hit on me in my time. Anyway, the search for Gary actually starts in this episode, but it's only Lon and Horton looking for him because 5-0 is busy investigating and they dig up Emily Workman's financials and find out that she's been making some big payments in the last four weeks. So that's obviously suspicious. They also talk to this tennis guy who has a name and he tells Danny that Emily Workman showed up drunk because she knew her husband would be there. And as her husband had said, she has a tendency to get lushed up and, and show up in public and embarrass him. And that's what she was doing at the tennis club. And when he found that out, Workman stopped coming around, but she kept coming around because she liked the tennis pro, but nothing ever happened. And he says that she was scared of her husband. And she thought that he was having her followed, looking for her to mess up so he could take the children and stop with the alimony. So, of course, Steve follows up on that and Workman denies having her followed. Finally, Lon comes home, finds out from the gardener in a very funny way that Horton's been creeping around because the gardener calls him Mr. Johnson. And, and he's like, who? And he explains what happened, which puts Lon on alert. And he goes inside and finally answers the phone and ends up going to 5 and once Steve puts it to him that Gary is in danger, that he doesn't think Gary had anything to do with Emily Workman's death other than being a witness, and that he could be in danger because if someone else knows that he saw, they will try to eliminate him, that's when Lon comes clean and gives him the handkerchief. And the thing is, is that every step of the way from Lon lying about Gary not being in his seat to Lon lying about Gary being at home to finally coming clean. Every action that he did was all from the same exact place, which was protecting his son. Obviously, there were some missteps in there, but the motivation was all the same. It was all about protecting Gary. And so now they have to find him. And it's great because Kono is sent to stake out the apartment to wait for Gary to get home. Horton is also staking out the apartment to wait for Gary to get home. Gary finally comes home. He spots Kono and makes a run for it. Now, Gary is not a small person. He is a big kid. Part of the reason why he's afraid of getting in trouble is his dad told him he needs to watch his weight. He is a big kid. He takes off running and he has Kono straight up chasing him, but Horton also kind of chasing him, but from a distance because he doesn't want to get busted. Gary manages to lose Kono, who is also a big human. He does not outpace him. This has nothing to do with speed. It's because he thinks like a kid. 
He rounds a corner and disappears like a toddler because he finds this perfect place to hide <laughs> that Kono doesn't think to look for him in. It's brilliant. I love it. And I'm, I admit to straight up cackling to think that this kid like ditched two grown men. It's great. But the problem is, is that Kono gives up and goes back and calls it in. Horton doesn't quite give up as easily and ends up catching Gary getting on the bus. And he follows him in the car. Gary gets off the bus. He's going to run him over. The way part one ends, it ends with us seeing Gary get off the bus and starting to go into the crosswalk and Horton gunning it. You think that part two is going to begin with him getting killed or run over. I mean, your heart stops. I can only imagine what this was like back in 1971 when it first aired. You had to wait a week to find out what happened to Gary. That had to have been tense. And then when it starts up with part two, it's like 10 minutes of recap before we get to him narrowly escaping death because another car pulled out at the same time. And if Horton went through with his plan of, of running over Gary, he would have hit the car and would not have been able to get away. So he dodges at the last minute and misses Gary. So it's actually quite great. It's heart stopping the way it ends up playing out and the way part two opens up. So now we have Gary still in the wind and both Horton and Five-O trying to get their hands on him. But they're still trying to figure out who killed Emily Workman. They know that Gary saw something, but they don't know the motive. They don't know what's going on. So Chin Ho ends up going to Emily Workman's funeral viewing or wake or whatever. I don't know. There's a casket. And talks to Mrs. An, who was her maid and her friend. Mrs. An does not want to be questioned. She doesn't want to talk about this. She's very protective of her friend and her friend's secrets and her friend's dignity. The way that Jin Ho talks to this woman, it's so brilliant how gentle he is in getting her to open up so she'll help them. Miss An, you loved her. She was a lady of quality, but she had a secret and was not a nice one. And you know that too. You can't hurt your lady's dignity by telling us a secret now. You can only hurt whoever he is, the person who killed her. And she does help them. She admits that there was blackmail involved. And she doesn't know who did it, but she knows that Mrs. Workman was putting an end to it. And she swears up and down, left, right, and center, that her husband had something to do with it. So, of course, Steve goes back and talks to him again. When he does, he tips Workman off to the fact that there is blackmail happening. There are the existence of pictures compromising pictures and that's when we get the swerve because he says oh i had no idea about the pictures well it's turned out that he's actually being truthful for once about that because then he get we get the swerve of him calling horton's girl and they meet up and we find out that the whole scheme has been he has been having his wife followed to obtain evidence of her in a compromising position but he's been paying horton's girl to do this and she's swearing she's not getting pictures meanwhile she's getting pictures and they're using those pictures to blackmail emily they're double dipping they're playing both sides brilliant income plan honestly a shame that horton had to screw it all up and murder mrs workman and cut off their finances because as far as workman is concerned his wife is dead, his problems are over, and they can get rid of the pictures because he's done all of the math and knows that Horton's girl is somehow responsible for his wife's death and says, I have more on you than you ever had on my wife. I have you for murder. And that's how he's going to ensure that they don't come back to him for money. Horton's going to ensure that Workman can't leverage that over them by tying up another loose end. And that's fun because... His girlfriend tries to talk him out of it. She's like, we have the money. He's not going to say anything. We can leave. And he's like, oh, we'll leave. Just as soon as we are, we get rid of the kid and we get rid of Workman. Because as far as he concern, he's concerned, that's the same thing. They both know. It's great because we see Workman out in his backyard having a drink. And his butler or houseboy or whatever leaves. And the shadow falls across him. And it's Horton. And he's like, what are you doing here? Minutes later. Minutes later steve and danny show up because they have found out about workman having his wife followed because he hired a proper pi first and this proper pi followed emily workman for about a week and a half and didn't find anything workman fired him 
And the PI suspected that he was fired because he found someone else to do the work. But because the PI is a very good PI in the fact that he is a natural snoop and needs to know things, he ended up following Workman to find out what was going on. And he caught Workman with Horton's girl. So he has evidence that Workman not only was having his wife followed, but also here is the other person that was doing the following. So Danny and Steve go to talk to Workman about his lies and the following and find him floating face down in the ocean. So they were just a minute too late. But it's great because when they go outside to the butler or houseboy or whatever, leads them outside to talk to him. The guy's like, he was just here a minute ago. All they find is his shoe. They find it. They like walk over like Cinderella's glass slipper and pick it up. And it's like, oh, and then look out and see him floating and find out that he's dead. Danny's like, we were just too late. And Steve says, we can't be too late again. They have to find Gary. And poor Lon is just worrying himself sick, worrying himself at the house. He goes to the stadium because he thinks he might be there. He's not there. He's got to get ready for the game that night. He thinks that Gary will show up because he'll be playing. He's worried himself sick because he tried so hard to protect his son and, and now his son's out in the wind. And you can see how torn up he is about this. Bennett tries to calm him because Lon's very upset about having HPD out front. That's going to scare Gary away. And Bennett's like, listen, you got to let them do their job. I know you. I know McGarrett. Everything's going to be fine. You have to trust that. So meanwhile, Gary, not exactly realizing that his life is in danger, is wandering about. He just knows he can't go home yet because the cops are there. He's wandering about, ends up on a ball field, and gives some instruction to one of these kids who takes umbrage to it. When Gary tells him that, well, Lon Phillips is my dad, they don't really believe him, but they're like, hey, do you want to play ball? And they kind of adopt him. They go to the game because Gary says he can get them in through the player's interest. Once he sees the cops, he changes his mind. One of the guys gives him a hard time. And he's like, the other guy's like, he still knows more about baseball than you. So leave him alone. We'll show you how we get into the Islanders games. I love this because you have Horton and his girlfriend. So Horton actually works security at the Islanders stadium. His girlfriend works concessions at the stadium. So you have them on the lookout for Gary. You also have HPD stationed at every friggin' entrance. And yet, these children, because children are inherently sneaky, are able to get into the stadium without them knowing. Now, some of the kids get busted, but Gary and his friend manages to get away. Now we have it that Gary is in the stadium, but HPD doesn't know. Lon doesn't know. But Horton and his girl spot him. And poor Gary does not realize until it's too late just how much trouble he's actually in. Our guest cast was no trouble. Let's take a closer look at them. As I said, Lon Phillips was played by Purnell Roberts. He was Adam Cartwright on Bonanza. He was also Trapper John McIntyre on Trapper John M.D., he also turned up in episodes of 77 Sunset Strip, The Rifleman, Gunsmoke, The Girl from Uncle, The Wild Wild West, Big Valley, The Bold Ones, The New Doctors, The Virginian, Alias Smith & Jones, Night Gallery, Banachek, Mission Impossible, Mannix, The Odd Couple, Ellery Queen, Ironside, Cannon, The Six Million Dollar Man, Barnaby Jones, Beretta, The Feather and Father Gang, The Man from Atlantis, The Rockford Files, Quincy M.E., Vegas, Love Boat, and Diagnosis Murder. He appeared in the movies The Magic of Lassie, Paco, the Kashmiri Run, and Four Road Out. And he appeared in the TV movies The Silent Gun, The Adventures of Nick Carter, Assignment Munich, Dead Man on the Run, The Deadly Tower, The Lives of Ginny Dolan, The Knight Rider, Desperado, The Train to Kathmandu, and Perry Mason, The Case of the All-Star Assassin. Lou Horton was played by Don Chastain. This is his first two episodes of three. He was Jim Thompson on The Debbie Reynolds Show. He also appeared in episodes of The Man and the Girl from Uncle, The Invaders, Gunsmoke, Mannix, The Doors Day Show, Cannon, Emergency, Maud, SWAT, Rhoda, The Rockford Files, Alice, The Ropers, Hello Larry, The West Wing, and Scrubs. He appeared in the movies The Black Godfather, CC and Company, and Flare Up. And he appeared in the TV movies How I Got You for Christmas, Sunrise, A Miracle of Love, 
and Woman of the Year. Lester Workman was played by Barry Atwater. This is his second and third episodes of three episodes. We also saw him in The Reunion. As I said, Gary Phillips was played by Elliot Street. This will be his first two episodes of three episodes. He also appeared in episodes of Room 222, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Love American Style, Ironside, The Mod Squad, Kung Fu, The Rookies, Streets of San Francisco, SWAT, The Rockford Files, Eight is Enough, and Chips. He appeared in the movies Runaway Jury, The Legend of Bagger Vance, Funland, The Bear, and Record City. And he appeared in the TV movies Dial Hotline, Paper Man, Jigsaw, The Kansas City Massacre, Elvis, and Escape. Collie Bennett was played by Jock Mahoney. He was Yancey Derringer on Yancey Derringer. He was also the Range Rider on Range Rider. He also turned up in episodes of The Loretta Young Show, 77 Sunset Strip, Rawhide, Laramie, Tarzan, Batman, Banachek, Emergency, Kung Fu, BJ and the Bear, Simon and Simon, and The Fall Guy. He appeared in the movies The End, Their Only Chance, The Love Bug, Bandolero, Battle Him, I Lived Before, a Day of Fury, and he appeared in three Tarzan movies, two of which as Tarzan. And he appeared in the TV movie, Simon Lash, The Black Book. Horton's Girl was played by Josie Over. This is her third and fourth episodes of 16. We also saw her in The Ways of Love and The One with the Gun. The tour guide was played by Leola Ohai. This is her only credit. Emily Workman was played by Electra Gatlas. That is such a great name. This is her first of seven episodes. She also appeared in episodes of Fantasy Island. Lily Ahn was played by Sue Young. This is her first of four episodes. She also appeared in episodes of Magnum P.I. And she appeared in the movies Flower Drum Song, Sayonara, Flight to Hong Kong, Soldier of Fortune, and The Good Earth. Galvin the P.I. was played by Tommy Fujiwara. This is his sixth of 24 episodes. In an uncredited role, the coroner was played by Seth Sakai. This is his first of 23 episodes. He also turned up in episodes of The Brian Keith Show, Magnum P.I., Airwolf, Raven, Mantis, Northern Exposure, and Hawaii. He appeared in the movies Pearl Harbor, The Hunted, The Next Karate Kid, Golden Seal, Midway, and Inferno in Paradise. Holbrook, the tennis pro, was played by Tim Tyndall. This is his third of five episodes. We also saw him in Tiger by the Tail and not that much different. Our writer, Adrian Spies, wrote only these two episodes of Hawaii Five-0, but he also wrote 16 episodes of Robert Montgomery Presents, seven episodes of Climax, three episodes of Schlitz Playhouse, four episodes of The Walter Winchell File, three episodes of Studio One, six episodes of Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse, three episodes of Dick Powell Theater, three episodes of Target the Corruptors, five episodes of Dr. Kildare, two episodes of Bracken's World, two episodes of Ironside, and he also wrote episodes of In the Heat of the Night, T.J. Hooker, Beretta, and Star Trek. He was also head writer of 1,024 episodes of an early daytime soap serial called Valiant Lady, and he was the creator of Saints and Sinners. He also has writing credits for the TV movies Hanging by a Thread, The Ordeal of Patty Hearst, Risco, The Family Kovac, The Failing of Raymond, Hauser's Memory, and The Scorpio Letters, and he has writing credits for the movie The Dark of the Sun. And that is The Grandstand Play Parts 1 and 2. I actually really like this two-parter, and a big part of the reason why I like this two-parter is because of Parnell Roberts and Elliot Street and the chemistry that they have together as father and son, and Elliot Street's performance as Gary. It's a quiet two-parter in the sense that there's not a lot of story and not a lot of action. It's actually quite simple. But the reason why it works so well is because we do get to spend so much time with Lon and Gary and getting to know them. And this absolutely could have been a single episode. This story, I think, could have been condensed for that. But I think we would have lost so much of the drama and so much of the connection with Lon and Gary that I don't think it would have been as effective. As a two-parter, I think it's more effective that we get to take longer to play out the case. I also think it's an interesting way to end season three. As I've said before, back then, season endings weren't as big of a deal. So they didn't typically do big endings. So I think it's kind of interesting that they chose to end on a two-parter. And that's how they wrapped up the season. And I think it was a, actually a good two-parter to end the season on. It was a good story to end the season on because it is a little bit more emotional than action-packed. And I think that 
it it works really well. So I think you should absolutely give this two-parter a watch. Really? Lon Phillips is your old man? My old man's Willie Mays! <laughs> <laughs> So let's take a look back on season three really quickly. As far as like an overview of the season goes, I think this is a really strong season. There are a lot of really good episodes. Obviously, I have my favorites. There really aren't, as far as I'm concerned, there really aren't any major duds. There are some that play off a little bit better than others. There, There's definitely a great variety of the kinds of episodes we get. We get some real intense action stuff. We have some real intense emotional stuff. We get to see our team in peril at points. There's a bit of humor thrown in. I mean, the bomber and Mrs. Maroney. Mrs. Maroney is like the greatest when it comes to that. Over 50 Steel is an absolutely fun episode. But then that's juxtaposed with Danny's fiance being murdered, Kono being kidnapped and tortured. So you have the real emotional episodes like Paniolo or To Kill or Be Killed. And then you have the adventure episodes like 10,000 Diamonds in a Heart. And you can see them start to get a little more creative with their storylines with Over 50 Steel. That's outrageous with the Master of Disguise and his whole motive behind everything. You also have Dear Enemy with someone manufacturing evidence to get a case reopened. And you have a flashback-heavy episode with Time and Memory, so we get to learn more about Steve's backstory, in a way. At least his backstory with this woman who broke his heart. I think there's a lot of variety in this season. As I said, I think, for the most part, no real duds. It's a really great season. Now, I don't think I mentioned it when I did the season two wrap last time, that season two won an Emmy. Morton Stevens won an Emmy for Best Music Composition for the episode A Thousand Pardons You're Dead. I don't think I remembered to mention that in my season two rap, so I'm mentioning it here just to make sure it gets mentioned because it should get mentioned. Morton Stevens won an Emmy and he deserved it. This season, no Emmys, but a couple of Emmy nominations. David Hilton got nominated for Outstanding Film Editing for Over 50 Steel and Bob Sweeney got nominated for Directing, Outstanding Directing for Over 50 Steel. So I'm not the only one that thought that that was a magnificent episode. I have no idea who they lost to, but I can tell you right now it was a sham and they should have won. As for my arbitrary tallies, I know that's why you stick around through the season so you can see what kind of stuff I tallied up. I will say there were no Bookum Danos. There was one Chin Bookum. That's all we got. No Bookum Danos. We will see if this trend continues throughout the rest of the series. As for my arbitrary tallies... Everybody went undercover in episode six, The Ransom. Everybody went undercover as a tourist at Sea Life Park. And as you remember, I loved it because everybody was wearing ugly Aloha shirts with the exception of Danny. He let me down. Steve also got to go undercover as a boater needing some gas and he wore some fabulous ascot and sunglasses combo to achieve that look. It was gorgeous. Danny also went undercover as an AWOL soldier in To Kill or Be Killed, episode 17. When it comes to injuries, Danny managed to go unscathed aside from being held hostage and having his girlfriend murdered. So his injuries were all emotional for this season. Because it's just another season of Hawaii Five-0, of course, Steve got blown up on a boat in episode 7, Force of Waves, ended up with a concussion and a broken hand. Chin Ho ended up getting knocked out while watching Shigata's house in episode 8, The Reunion. And my poor darling Kono got the crap kicked out of him this season. He got bashed over the head with a rock after making a traffic stop in episode two, Trouble in Mind. And then, of course, in episode six, The Ransom, Kono gets kidnapped and they beat the crap out of him when they're holding him. So my poor beloved Kono had a real rough go of it in season three. And of course... Let's take a look at the instances of racist casting in season three. Thankfully, only four instances of racist casting. So one more than season two, but still way less than season one. And of course, any number over zero is not good. With these old shows, we got to take what we can get, right? So final thoughts on season three. It's a great season. You're going to find an episode that you like. And it's nice to see the writing branch out a little bit with the kind of cases they're dealing with and 
the approach that they take to certain subjects like addiction and mental illness and things like that, because we get a lot of that in this season. So it's kind of interesting to see the writing team take on the, the grittier topics that started to come in with the 70s and put that Hawaii Five-O spin on them. I enjoyed season three, and I hope you did too. And that is episode 38 of Bookum Dano, and that's the end of season three. I know I enjoyed myself doing this season, and I hope that you enjoyed listening to me talk about this season. And I hope you watched the episodes, and I hope you enjoyed the season as well. That is three seasons down, which is more than I thought I would get through when I first started. And that means we've got like nine seasons to go. So we're a quarter of our way through this show already. Can you believe it? And we're having such a good time. Okay, I'm having such a good time. But I hope you are too. Thanks for listening. As always, I appreciate your ears. And thanks forever to Dan for always showing up when I want him to talk episodes with me. He is always a good sport about it. Thanks to Shan for the new microphone that I've been using in the latter part of recording season three. I think it's working out pretty well now that I've figured out how to work it. And thanks to Stan for always having something nice to say about the episodes. Never underestimate the power of a compliment. If you like something that someone does, tell them. They could probably use the ego boost. If you want to find me online, you can do that by going to akakikiwrites.com. It is the home of Bookum Dano. You can also find me on my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. And if you want a way to give me compliments quickly and easily, you can just follow me on Twitter and at me, at kikiwrites. So be careful about playing both sides for economic gain. And don't be afraid to score from first on a single. Until next time. Aloha.